0: I'm Erin Delmore, and as we work, more and more people are getting the job done from anywhere but the office or home. Pre-pandemic, working in the office was great, but it's not the same now. So I would say that working from a co-working space is probably my number one, followed by working from home and then working in the office. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That was Genevieve Schuler. We met her at a co-working space in Stamford, Connecticut. For me, just sitting home alone kind of in the silence or even if I put music on, it's not the same. So coming here and feeling the energy of other people around me and having human interaction without actually having to interact is actually really helpful and gives me energy. On today's show, you thought co-working spaces were popular before the pandemic? Well, there are more of them now than ever before, and demand to use them is up too. Up 58% from pre-pandemic levels, according to The Instant Group, a real estate strategy firm. So, why are workers choosing to leave home or the office and go flexible instead? We'll dig into this trend. Stay with us.
1: The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. American Funds Distributors Inc.
0: On a recent Friday morning, I had the option of working from home or the office, just like a lot of workers these days. But at least some of them are actually choosing neither. This station
2: is Stamford.
0: My producer Charlotte Gartenberg and I took a train from New York City to Stamford, Connecticut to visit Third Place. It's a brewery-turned-co-working space less than a half a mile from the train station. It's a gray brick building. There's a mural outside. It says beer, coffee, co-working, live music, private events by Half Full Brewery. This is just one of the more than 3,800 co-working spaces in the U.S. alone, according to Coworker.com. Worldwide, the number of co-working spaces is projected to double by 2024, according to Statista. And the offerings today aren't the same ones we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. They're varied, sometimes even offbeat place by half brewery is a relatively new entrant to the co-working scene but it's bustling just as we were about to walk inside we bumped into david lane leaving he's pretty well known around here mostly because he walks around with a toy poodle tucked under his arm
3: when you're working remotely it can get kind of claustrophobic inside your apartment so it can be good to just get out and get some coffee be around other human beings or other dogs too
0: (laughs) so it's good for you and it's good for gracie you're saying gracie what do you think She's the strong, silent type, huh?
3: She totally agrees.
0: I'm curious to step inside and see what's going on in here. It feels like a library. And I've lowered my voice because there's a real quiet vibe going on today. Let me see. I can see at least one woman here at a table on her laptop doing a meeting or a call or something on video chat. But everybody else is kind of just doing silent work. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, can we get a couple of coffees?
3: Large. Sprinkles. I think
0: large. That kind of day. That kind of day. Thanks. Bill Mayo was inside waiting to order his own coffee. He works for a software company. He had his laptop in his hand and was planning to work for a few hours. So what is it about being here that makes it feel a little better on a Friday for you? Why choose it?
2: Honestly, it's the only place in town
3: that does what I need, which is like a chill quiet vibe because sometimes I do need to take a phone call which they have phone booths too so that's really helpful and um yeah, it's like enough space is a reliable place to like get a seat and a place to charge your laptop and it's quiet it is good well, my first name is sky
0: what brought you here today to Douglas?
3: so i tend to
1: like not want to be stuck because we're working remote in just my apartment, you know, the apartment has become the office space, and which is supposed to be separate from that and sort of preserve my home domain, my own fiefdom. At least going to a different environment gives me the sense of being able to be focused.
0: Jennifer Swift and Kim Taylor are friends who say they come to third place to focus. Jennifer graduated law school last year. She works in education law now, and Kim's an administrative coordinator for a college. I get more done when I'm not in the office because I don't have people bothering me. I'm like walking... I feel like that is just rude to you two, just now. (laughs) How about you, Jennifer? I have no self-discipline, so I have the option of working from home or working from the office, and I can't work from home
1: because I get nothing done. So I have to go into the office, or
0: if I'm gonna work from home, I know I have to go to Kim's house or come to a place where I can take a nap or binge watch TV. So this this is what keeps me in check. We met up with Connor Horrigan, the founder and owner of Third Place and Half Full Brewery.
3: Without further ado, welcome to Third Place.
0: Thank you. Connor explains what led him to create this space, both as a brewery and as a place to work.
3: I don't want you to think when you come into a bar, oh, it's a coffee shop and co-working space. So like the way that we put the bar kind of behind the columns so you didn't get hit with that espresso machine look.
0: Connor and I sat down to chat more about how he came up with the idea to use his brewery in the daytime hours as a co-working space.
3: Like any good ideas, it's really kind of through observation. We operate a tasting room that's about a mile from here, and it's in an area of the town that you wouldn't walk in off the street uh, and just, you know, hang out at. It's very much a destination, and one of the things we noticed was Right around when we would open at 4 o'clock on a Thursday or Friday, people would come in and they'd set up a laptop and they'd get a flight of beer and they would continue to do work. And I said, hey, I think you can create a business out of this. And what we should do is if we're going to do that, make it more centrally located. So came up with the idea for third place with this idea of, hey, this is going to be your place after home and work.
0: How did your own experience working impact the way you wanted to set this place up?
3: So I... Used to work on a trading floor. Very open. Everyone is right on top of you. There's a buzz, right, always happening. There's a certain, you know, volume level. I enjoy the the feeling of, you know, just a lot of energy, a lot of people that are around, mixing together. There's lots of conversations going. There's a certain buzz and energy from that, and that's where I think kind of community comes from. Is like people just kind of together and they're bumping into each other and they're they're uh, you know, knocking elbows and then they're you know conversations that naturally kind of happen and and that's you know this there's like this kind of transfer of knowledge and energy that happens when you bring people together and so I wanted a space that was more like that which a bar is much more like that than if you were going into a co-working space which is a bunch of beautiful glass offices all together and you you know you're in your own comfortable space so it was very intentional in, in that we wanted a workspace that was big and open and social in nature
0: So when I walk around the space, I see people with their heads down, looking at their laptops, doing what looks to me like really individual work. So talk to me, Connor, about how that, a bunch of people doing solo work, builds a community. Make that connection for me.
3: Yeah, I think it's, if someone thinks that they can come here frequently to do work, they may come and be heads down initially, right? And they're just like, hey, I'm here to do work. But then eventually they're going to be like, hey, you know, what's new here? So I think naturally your human instinct is at some point, to get curious and be like, "Well, who are you and what do you do?" And, and all of a sudden you start to see the water cooler conversation happen here. We literally have our own kind of water cooler on the the side of the bar. You see people kind of coming in there at the same time. And I've seen also like one person will go to get a beer at a certain time, and all of a sudden then you, there's like a run on beer, right? So people start to like get curious and touch and there's definitely what you'll see is amongst the regulars they have developed rapport. You see them they come in, they pet each other's dogs, right? They, they talk to one another, they know each other by names. Um, and so I think it's just like, again, one of these things that kind of happens over time. And humans need to, you know, say hi and be social with other humans.
0: Who do you see coming through the doors here?
3: A little bit of everyone, right? So we get, obviously, regular people that are coming here that you can tell, like, this is their workspace now. Like, they're, they're gig economy people or, you know, solo entrepreneur, and they just need a space, and they don't want to hang at home. Uh, we get a lot of people that come in that are just working one of the local offices, and they want to come in for a beer at 3 o'clock, right? And this is their thing. So you'll see in there someone in jeans doing work on a computer and having coffee or beer at 4 o'clock, right? And then you'll have 10 guys in blue, and white crisp button downs, right, from a local office or a hedge fund here um, that are hanging out. Uh, And then you also have, you see strollers and babies, and this is a stopping off point.
0: So since you opened up third place, in addition to your tap room and brewery here, what's happened for you in terms of revenue? Can you tell me a bit about how many people you see coming in every month and what direction that number's gone in?
3: The trend line of the people coming here has been increasing. You see some regulars, but there are tons of people every day, I bet you at least 50% of the people, if not more, are new faces that we've never seen, right? So it keeps kind of cycling. And that's that's why I think we'll start building to that point where we're going to have that good problem, which is like, hey, what do you do if the tables are all filled with people that are coming, getting a coffee at 8 and then not doing, you know, any more business the rest of the day, right? Um, but again, a problem we can deal with later at this point. We're just you know, welcome everyone to kind of use the space, you know, and that was part of the idea, right? How do you create communities? Like you create a space that isn't always about making money every hour of the day, right? It's a kind of contributes to the public good.
0: So that's what Connor Horrigan says he's looking to achieve with his co-working space. What does the research say about why workers are choosing to go there? That's next. Our trip to third place showed us there are some workers who say they thrive in co-working spaces, and there is research to back up the reasons why. Pete Basevice has been keeping a keen eye on the co-working trend and its evolution. He's a research associate at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and the vice president of research and development for Pangium, a property tech startup and workplace analytics platform. Pete, why do people choose to work from co-working spaces?
2: It's somewhere that's not home. It's somewhere where there's a vibe. But what it also does is it provides the kind of security and legitimacy of an office. It's a place that you feel professional in. It's a place that you feel okay bringing a colleague, or it's a place where you would invite a client. So it, it provides that bridge, not just between work and home, but also between the professional and the casual.
0: Is that something we're seeing more of these days?
2: Absolutely. As people have been moving out of cities and just generally moving since 2020 and finding new environments that work for them because they have this newfound flexibility to work really from anywhere, I think there's more people now that are just covering uh, co-working spaces in communities that they are, are now settling in, um, which might not have been available to them 10 years ago because co-working hadn't penetrated these markets as much as they have uh, in recent years.
0: And when you talk about that, how they hadn't penetrated these markets as much as we see them doing now or as much as they have in recent years, is it a question of scale? There are simply more or type?
2: Certainly, there are co-working space providers like WeWork and some other large and small ones that operate, you know, very specific co-working spaces the kinds that you'd expect to see with desks and coffee bars and some amenities and and conference rooms. But you're also seeing spaces like restaurants that get turned into uh, work-enabled places during the daytime or interesting sports venues that are offered to workers for certain parts of the day. So you're seeing operators of real estate get creative in offering their settings, even if they weren't originally designed for workers. And we could define all of that as co-working because it's essentially bringing work and bringing workers from different backgrounds and affiliations to a setting.
0: What's the one thing that's still missing from the office that makes us want to work in a co-working space? Or what does the office have that we don't want?
2: Some people do want to come to an office and sit and and do focus work. They don't work well at home. Maybe co-working spaces are not for them. So there will always be people that would prefer to work from an office. It's not a different design. I've often said that co-working is a way of working rather than a space. So what? coworking represents is the kind of flexibility and and autonomy that an office doesn't traditionally represent.
0: Is there a craving for more self-determination in our work lives, and this is just one way workers are manifesting it?
2: Yes, I think so. We've certainly seen with working from home over the last two and a half years now, we've seen people realize that benefits of being able to control their schedules more than I think they could have prior to 2020. So the fact that people can now structure their lives and their daily routines around work and not necessarily have to follow a routine which takes them into an office or through a grueling commute to get to an office they're finding that they're a lot more productive. They have the ability to work from an office when it's when it works for them, but they know that there are other options, whether it's home or a co-working space or somewhere else where they can work if they feel that that environment fits what they need to do. So we've given people greater control over what researchers call person-environment fit.
0: Pete, if you and I have this conversation again in, say, five years— where do you think we're having it? In the office or on Zoom or in a co-working space or something else?
2: We would probably have it in much the same format. There would probably be better technology that connects us that makes my audio in my home be as at the same level of sound quality as what's being produced in your studio. That being said, I think it's important for face-to-face connections. And I would think that much like many workers today see the value of being in person from time to time in the office, if I'm in the same city as someone, I would not turn down an opportunity to meet in person because I think that that is very important.
0: As Pete said, some of us are good at working from home while others do better in the office and others hit their stride in a co-working space. But no matter where we're at our best, we all know what it feels like to be at our worst. Next up, in our pro tip, we'll show you why going out of your way to do things you're bad at can actually be really good for your career and even your personal life.
3: If your business needs a new application
0: And finally, our pro tip, that useful piece of career advice from one of the journal's reporters. Rachel Feinsig is a columnist for the journal's Life and Work team, and she's here to make the pitch for why it's so good to let ourselves be bad at something. So, Rachel, apparently we're bad at being bad at things. What are you bad at?
1: So many things. The thing that's prompted this column was being bad at yoga. I mean, it's like every time the instructor left her mat, I knew that she was coming my way to like provide remedial assistance, and it just made me cringe.
0: When you reported this out, people seemed to have really strong feelings about how they felt about being bad at something. How do people react to what they were bad at? I did
1: a column about swearing a few months prior to this column, and I found that In reporting this piece about things that people were bad at, I heard more profanity than in the column that was actually about swearing. It is so entwined with how we feel about ourselves. We are so not used to being bad at things. We hate talking about it. Um, I was struck by how emotional it was for people.
0: But we should try new things, right? You hear parents say this to their kids all the
1: time. Just try it. There's a huge benefit in trying things, especially things that we that we might be bad at. I think it teaches us patience and empathy. I talked to someone who's bad at surfing, and she talked about how it had really changed her at work, kind of recognizing this sense that, like, Many things in life are just hard and being more empathetic, owning up to her own mistakes in her work life more, whereas before she may have kind of gone defensive, she's able to say, like, I messed that up and move forward in a way that was was hard before. I think that perfectionism translates into all parts of our life. And once we start to let that go by trying new activities, we can kind of be better in other parts of our lives, too.
0: So why can it be good for us to do things that we're not good at, both in our personal lives and at work, too? I mean, it can also
1: just push us toward problem solving. I I talked to this guy who started his own business, and he found that he was really bad at parts of running the business. He's in tax. He was fine with all the complicated tax rules, but things like following up with clients, collecting revenue, um, he was kind of abysmal at. And so finally acknowledging that he was bad at this instead of continuing to push it under the rug, pushed him toward finding a new business partner who was better at these things, who could teach him in kind of the safer space. So sometimes it's not about just continuing to do the thing that you're bad at alone. It's about acknowledging the issue and, and getting help and working through it.
0: So what's next for you, Rachel? What are you enjoying being bad at these days or what are you looking at doing next? So I was doing yoga because I had a running
1: injury. Um, and after, you know, experiencing like the full range of my human humility at yoga, um, I am now clawing my way back from this running injury, and it's suddenly being bad at running again, right? Like, I was running 13 miles, and now I'm back to running three miles.
0: Erin, I'm going to turn the tables on you. What are you bad at? Oh, Rachel, so many things. In the last week alone, let's see, I am nursing a tailbone injury from taking not one but two hard falls on roller skates. Roller skates? It looks like it should be so simple. Do you think you'll stick with it? I don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rachel, I wish you luck, not only in yoga, but in all of your endeavors. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. One other thing a lot of us are bad at, making sure we get paid what we're worth. It's especially difficult for freelancers and the self-employed to make the case for higher rates. People like Jamie Brindle, who runs his own production company.
3: Your rate is your floor, not your ceiling. I'd say my rate is developed on a project-to-project basis because the value of one solution to one client is going to be completely different than the value to another.
0: Jamie has garnered hundreds of thousands of followers on social media who tune in for his advice on running a freelance business. And he shares some of that advice with us on our next episode. Like the show? Tell your friends to subscribe and give us a five-star review on your favorite platform. As we work is a production of the Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Jonathan Sanders is a warm cup of apple cider on a cool fall day and our booking producer. Scott Sallaway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. I'm Erin Delmore. See you next time.